let's take our Bibles and turn back to what I believe is the most well-known Christmas text, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. For the last few weeks, we have been studying the Christmas account through the context of this very unusual question, and I hope you have tracked well with it. I've, I've uh, had a fun time studying, but sometimes it's been confusing because you have to change your way of thinking. And the question is, what would have happened if Jesus never came to earth? Now, that's a strong hypothetical, but that's the approach we're taking this Christmas is what would it be like if, if that night had stayed silent? If God had not intervened by coming to save us from our sins, how would it affect our lives? And how would it have changed the people that we know so well from the Christmas account, the people that we read about in the book of Luke? Now, two weeks ago, we talked about it from the aspect of Israel, what Israel would have been like if God hadn't had this plan that he told to Isaiah. And then last week, we studied Joseph and Mary. And this week, we're going to study how different the shepherds perspective and how different their experience would have been if the angel had never appeared to them. Now, as I studied this week, I was really intrigued by one concept as I went back over these verses that we know so well. I memorized these verses as a, as a kid, and we would say them every Christmas morning. And, and as, I, as I read through it, the, the one thing that really intrigued me is that when you look at verse 8, and we'll read it in just a second, Verse 8 represents the five or ten minutes before the shepherds' lives were transformed. That, that moment before everything changed. Maybe if you've been in a, in a car accident before, you remember what was happening right before that car pulled in front of you. Or you remember something significant in your life, what it was like when your first baby was born. And, 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 and that moment when it's still just the two of you, and then all of a sudden your life gets so much better. What was it like for the shepherds in verse 8? And I really want to draw a distinction this morning between verse 8 and verse 9, because something very, very significant happened in that transition. So let's read verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I really want us to, to picture this setting this morning, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes for a minute. And I want you just to visualize just in your brain what, what that might have looked like. Put yourself in their, in their shoes or their sandals, I guess the case would be. Imagine what it would be like if you were sitting there. Now, don't, don't drift to what presents you have left to buy. I want you to get in the moment, okay? Get in the moment. Think about it. Close your eyes. Think about it. Picture yourself sitting there on the hills. Right outside of Bethlehem. It's nighttime. You're hanging out with a few other shepherds. You're watching the sheep. They're, they're kind of wandering around. Or maybe some of them are sleeping. Or some are eating some grass or whatever. And it's a calm, quiet night. There's no noise. There's no music. There's no cell phones. There's nothing. And off in the distance, to your right, the little village of Bethlehem is sitting there, and it's dark and it's quiet. Maybe there's a, a, a torch or two on inside a house, but, but it's nighttime. It's, it's dark. It's quiet. You have a picture of it? Now open your eyes and look back at those words. 
These words that are so familiar to us in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Maybe we've seen it pictured on Christmas cards. Anybody still send Christmas cards? Yeah, good. One of you. That's awesome. Keep the postal service and Hallmark alive. But you've seen it pictured, right? We, we know we have a visual what this looks like, kind of purple and dark, and the shepherds are sitting there and the sheep and the little town and the stars in the sky. That, that all is, is an understanding. But I really want us to get a true sense of it this morning, how average this setting is, how everyday it is. And let's really get that this morning because it leads us to some very important spiritual principles. As I studied verse 8 again and read it again and read it again and asking the, the Spirit for some really fresh insight here, he highlighted to me three characteristics about this evening that greatly parallel lives. And I want to encourage you to write this morning. I want you to encourage you to take notes. I always do, but this morning maybe more than, than usual because there's a lot of things I want to get here that, that are the parallel between what's happening in verse 8 and how we live every day. Okay, so let's, let's see three characteristics of, of this evening. First of all, the shepherds were doing a relatively important job. They're doing a relatively important job. There, there's nothing spectacular. There's nothing really world-changing about this, but it's necessary. And certainly they felt a sense of value in their job and what they were doing. And they're, they're guarding the sheep and they're preventing anything from harming them. And there's a responsibility. They've been called to do this. Somebody's employed them to, to take care of these sheep and, and to do what they're supposed to do. And life's like that most of the time, isn't it? Life is like that, that, that there are little flashes here and there of, of excitement and periodically we go through something significant. But, but for the most part, we're just doing what we're supposed to do one day to the next. So first of all, they're doing a job. Second of all, it was just an ordinary night. It's an unspectacular evening. There's nothing to suggest in the text that this is unusual. So they're caring for what's important to them, and they're guarding uh, against uh, things that would, that would happen that would be detrimental. They, they have responsibility here. They, they have uh, a job. People are depending on them. So, so they're just kind of doing their thing. It's an ordinary night. They're doing an ordinary job. And the third thought is there's very little expectation of anything happening. Get the ordinariness of this. Get the, the normalcy of this, that, that they're out there doing their job on a regular night when nothing's going to happen. Maybe the most exciting thing that's going to happen is, is some wolf or some predator comes up and tries to attack, and they have to shoo it away. Maybe a, a sheep wanders off. Uh, Charlie, I'll go get him. You know, number 46 is wandering again. Uh, he always is taken. I mean, think about how basic this is. And other than that, other than what might happen that's in the normalcy of life, there's very little anticipation that anything significant is going to happen. They're just watching sheep on the hills, and nothing would suggest that in just a minute, their lives are going to be radically transformed. Now think about those three characteristics that you just wrote down and how they apply to our everyday lives. Most of the time, we're doing fairly important jobs. We're working hard in business or 
we're industry, we're in manufacturing, we're in retail, maybe we're a student, we're, we're laboring, we're using our skills, we're, we're using our experience, we're trying to make some kind of difference and provide for our families, and, and we're trying to raise our kids and teach them biblical values and instill in them responsibility and, and respect, not, not literally changing the world. Tomorrow you probably will not do anything that radically alters the landscape of humanity. None of us this morning, to my knowledge, is known nationally or internationally for what we do. We're, we're just people doing our things, doing what we're called to do. And when we get to the end of this week, we will probably look back at it and say, most of the days were pretty ordinary. Most of the days were just kind of what we go through and barring some kind of major life-changing event, this will be another week. And we'll have a little extra time for family and rest and, and enjoy Christmas and all that. But, but outside of somebody surprising us with a special gift, like, you know, in the car commercials where, where they walk outside and each one has a new Lexus SUV with the bow. Yeah, okay. Probably not going to happen this week. But if it does, it still wouldn't be life-changing because it's just a car, right? So, so barring anything really, really significant... This is going to be a nice, casual week where we don't have to work as much. Now, draw a line between the two. What the shepherds are going through parallels our lives in many ways. And I believe, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 8, I believe it's really kind of a spiritual metaphor for life without God. Kind of existing, getting through life, hoping for some worth and some importance out of it, usually kind of living in the ordinary, knowing that, that, you know, there's not much to expect out of life. It just kind of is what is, not really thinking about eternal future. So, so here's the question that I have. What happens to life in verse 8 if there's no verse 9? What happens to life in verse 8 if there's no verse 9? What if this is all there is? Now, if that's just the way it is, if, if Jesus isn't real, or, or at best he's some kind of imposter who has no more ability to save us than the person sitting next to us, if that's how it is, then I believe that three statements have to be true. If verse 9 doesn't happen, if, God, if Jesus doesn't come, then I believe there are three things that have to be true. Number one, there's no God. There's no God. Or, or if there is a God, at best... He's either cruel and judgmental, or he's completely detached and uncaring. But, but either way, whatever it is, we are stuck in an unconditional, irrefutable position of sin. There's no getting out. Now, we can uh, say, well, I'll do my best, and I'll try to be good. But listen, without a Savior, the only chance we have is to somehow be good enough, but that's arbitrary because we don't know if God's gracious and we don't know what the standard would be. So if there's no baby, there's no manger, there's no good news of great joy to all people, then this is it. Life is life, and you just get through it, and then it's done. And whoever or whatever caused us to exist really is just playing some kind of cruel cosmic joke on us. Because this is it. But in our 60, 70, 80 years, work our job, pay our bills, pay our taxes, hope that we can pay our mortgage, try to avoid any major health crises, and that's it. And what's the purpose? I don't really know. 
Now, so many people in the world this morning believe that way. And the implications of that are really senseless and very sad. And it means a second statement is true. It means there's really no purpose for life. There's really no purpose for life. See, we're so used to thinking of God as loving, but that's based on the fact that Jesus came to save us. That's based on what we know. So if he didn't come, we don't know that God is love. It's almost certain that he isn't, which means that everything is essentially meaningless. And even trying to be good and trying to make some kind of difference during our life holds no lasting meaning. There's no way to affect anyone's life in any way beyond the years that we have on earth. But after the years we have on earth, nothing takes place. There's no eternal impact. We can't make a difference in people's lives for eternity because there's no eternal significance. So if the angel doesn't show up and the night stays silent and there's never a Savior born to you this day in the city of David, then we are all in a horrible situation. And there's no getting out of it. And that makes the third statement true. There's no possibility for true joy. If there's no God and there's no purpose, there's no joy. Now, we know that's true because man has proven for centuries that we don't have the solution on our own. Think of the history of the world. War, murder, torture, divorce, greed, viciousness. There, there isn't one ounce, not one bit of confirmation that we have discovered the secret of happiness or the secret of joy or the secret of purpose or the secret of contentment apart from God. Even the most successful kings and rulers and scientists and philosophers and intellectuals and athletes and and famous entertainers, none of them has discovered it. None of them has said, here, I found it. The most brilliant people have never come up with an answer for contentment and joy and purpose apart from God, because there is none. There has to be a gracious, loving, merciful God who is personable. And see, man's lack of certainty about that, and and man's, man's lack, in many cases, of acceptance about that, ultimately creates the distinct response that we're going to see in the shepherds right here at the end of verse 9. Because we'll read in a second, it says the shepherds were terribly frightened. See, if there's no God and there's no purpose and there's no joy, I'm scared to death. If there's no answer to any of this. Now, the angel appears, look at it. The angel appears, verse 9. And he stands before them, and there's this immensely bright light on this dark, quiet night because it says the glory of the Lord shone round about the angel. And the shepherd's initial and immediate reaction is perfectly logical, right? They're scared out of their minds. Quiet night, you pictured it. Sheep, whatever, and and there's nothing going on, and there's no music, and, you know, people aren't YouTubing and all that kind of. It's just quiet. And all of a sudden, boom! Here's this angel standing in front of them, and it's bright, and it's like, oh, what is that? Right out of the darkness. And not only is that a shock to their system, but they're aware that, you know, it's not one of their shepherd friends playing a joke on them, coming up with a, with a torch going, ah, like that. This is something, 
this is something eternal. This is something heavenly. And they knew enough about the Old Testament, and they had enough about descriptions of angels to know that this is an angel, which was amazing in and of itself. But then I think immediately the next question is, why is an angel appearing to us? What does this mean? And this is where we get the answer in verse 9. The angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. Now here's what I want you to notice. Notice how directly God answers the fear of the unknown. How directly God answers the fear of the unknown. If there is one phrase that may describe our world better than any other this morning, it is that phrase, the fear of the unknown. Even with all the technology we have, the wealth of information that is pouring out of our phones and out of our computers, there is a shocking lack of confidence, isn't there? And there's a heavy degree of fear. So many people this morning are emotionally and spiritually tortured by uncertainty. There's the volatility of the economy. There's the, the fear of having our rights restricted, and that's on both sides of the political spectrum. There, there, there are huge concerns about terrorism and mass shootings and, and border security. There are questions about things like uncertain, undefined things like climate change. Here in our nation, we have this obvious political divide that's shown in the shutdown of the government and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, we have all this uncertainty and fear. There's this increasing resistance to God. There's an increasing rejection of Jesus Christ and the Bible and the concept of one true God. And here's why. The devil's play is to, is to give the impression that mankind finally, after thousands of years, is breaking free of God's restrictions. That finally we've reached a new age of enlightenment. That, that now the influence of Christianity now can be pushed down because we've become more wise. And there are other religions and other options that are far better. And that man, if you would just understand that contentment is really found apart from Jesus, you would understand everything. Here's the problem with that. All the evidence proves otherwise. Not only has joy and confidence not increased, but self-destructive behavior has rapidly, rampantly accelerated. And I want to bore you with some statistics this morning because these are some of the ways that we know that that's true. Opioid overdoses have increased 30% in the last two years as people try to dull their physical and emotional pain. There's a 70% increase in opioid overdoses in the Midwest, highest of any part of the country. Alcohol abuse, overall drinking in our country has increased 11%. Three in four American adults say they've consumed alcohol in the last year. High-risk drinking, four or more drinks a day. 
has risen by 30%. With women, it's increased 58%. With older adults, it's increased 65%. Addicted drinking, which is the inability to stop drinking to the point that it causes significant problems in your life. Addicted drinking has increased 50%. Alcohol abuse among women has increased by 84%. Our state, Wisconsin, gotta love it, has the worst rate of binge drinkers in the country by far, 25%. The problem is so epidemic that in our country, 10,500 people died in alcohol-impaired driving accidents in the last year. Now, listen to that number, 10,500. Compared that to 3,000 deaths due to texting and driving and 68 deaths due to mass shootings. Now, mass shootings terrify us because they take place in unexpected and public places that should be safe. But, of course, we should be able to say the same thing about drunken driving and distracted driving. Because when I'm driving down Highway 31, it should be my expectation that somebody hasn't gotten buzzed and is going to drive into my car. And yet there's no outcry in our country for alcohol to be banned. Suicide. Since 2000, suicides have increased 25% nationwide. There were nearly 45,000 suicides in 2016, more than twice the number of homicides. It's now the second leading cause of death for people 15 to 34. Divorce is on the rise. Marriage has become so disposable that 5% of divorce filings in the United Kingdom claimed Fortnite as the cause for the application. That's how, that's how much we disregard marriage. And ironically, the number of divorces they're saying may actually decline in the next decade ahead because millennials are not getting married at all, probably because they've seen their parents and their grandparents mess up marriage so much and, and fracture the family with divorce. And without biblical influence, they don't see any point for it. So I think divorce is not only going to go down, but marriage is going to go down. Now, tell me that man has the answer. We're drugged up, we're liquored up, we're killing ourselves, and we're breaking apart our families. But, but the devil wants us to believe that we have all the answers, that if we will just live for ourselves, that that, that will be the answer. Now, you may be sitting there going, I came here for a nice, happy, uplifting Christian Christmas message. You're depressing me. But we need to hear that, don't we? Because it shows how futile man's solutions are, and it shows how much we need a Savior. How many know we all need Jesus? We all need Jesus. And I want you to look back at the text, at the power and the reassurance of God's response. Look at it, verse 10. He says, you do not have to live in fear. My perfect love casts out all fear, and salvation through Jesus delivers us from fear. That means every single person, listen, every single person can experience joy and fulfillment, but it's not sourced in ambition and vices and materialism and wealth and anything having to do with us. Every person needs a Savior. And that Savior can free us from the weight of sin. 
He's the only one that can deliver us from sin's judgment and from eternal penalty. He's the only one who can change us from self-centered to non-self-centered. He's the only one who can give us security and confidence and hope and joy and peace and contentment. It is only through Jesus. So we say, what happens if verse 9 never happened? Well, here's the truth. Verse 9 did happen. Verse 9 did happen. So let's go back and look at the text as we finish up from another angle. What happens to life because of verse 9? Let's take the three conclusions that we had from earlier and change the outcome because verse 9 happened. Because the night was not silent, here's what happens. The fear that there's no God or or that he doesn't care or certainly isn't merciful, that's eliminated by the announcement because it's the greatest message ever given to mankind. Well, what if there's no God, and what if there's no nothing to this, and, and I'm just some cosmic accident from two uh, atoms hitting together, and nobody knows where they came from, and it all exploded and created this complexity. What, what if there's no God? Well, let me tell you, there is a God, and He cares about you, and He is merciful, and He wants to change your life. What's the second thing? Well, the fear that there's no purpose in life, that's eliminated. Because the Lord meets and fulfills our greatest need for salvation, for meaning, for hope. Every person has it in their DNA. Every person needs salvation. Every person needs purpose. Every person needs hope. And we don't have to look at our lives and say, what a joke. I just put in my 70 years and I do my day to day and I just play out the string and that's it. Why would I do this? No wonder people are killing themselves because they don't see that there's any value. And I'm telling this morning that Jesus coming gives us value. It gives us purpose. It gives us hope. It gives us confidence that this is not just a joke, that God cares about us and he created us for a reason. And third, the fear that there's no possibility of joy because we don't have any solutions. That's eliminated. By God's promise that true joy is available to every person. Isn't it awesome how quickly the perspective changes? They were in the same country, shepherds, keeping watch in the fields, looking over their flocks by night. Oh, if it ends there, there's nothing. But suddenly there was an angel And he stood before him and he said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And let me tell you, that alters your outlook completely. For the shepherds, every day would never be the same. They wouldn't stop telling people, because when your life has been radically transformed, you don't stop talking about it. You don't stop telling people, I once was this, and now I'm this. Everything's changed. My whole perspective has changed. My whole life has changed. Is that our way of thinking? Is that how we live, believer, this morning? Do we live every day waking up saying, I am nothing without God, but because of Jesus, my life has been transformed? i got to tell people about this. Or do we just do what we do? Listen, when I watched my dad die couple years ago with complete spiritual peace 
with absolute confidence, literally moving in one second from this life to eternal life, I knew, I knew that the message of Luke 2 was real. When I talked to Aggie two days before she entered heaven, and she said, I'm ready to go, and I'm confident I'm going to be in heaven, I was reminded again that we don't have to be afraid because there is good news of great joy for all people. It's not just life is life, and you get through it, and that's it. No, Jesus came to change that. And that's why the shepherds do what they do, starting in verse 15. Let's finish. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, all who heard it, wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds went back. Oh, notice verse 20. Don't lose it. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as been told to them. See, once the angels leave and once the sky is dark again, the shepherds have a choice. Once the angels leave, once the sky goes dark, once it's just the stars again, they have a choice. They can argue against what they've just heard, or they can dismiss it out of hand, or they can just ignore it. Hey, hey let's never talk about that again, okay? You want some falafel? I, I didn't see that. Did you see that? I didn't see that. Nope. Never happened. How's that cheap over there? Everybody good? Ooh, what was that? We ate some bad clams or something. That was not cool. Okay, you agree? We're never talking about this again, right? Good, all right, good. Good to go. That was choice one. Choice two was, let's go and find out whether this is true. Let's go see whether this is real. And let me tell you, that's the point of decision that every person comes to, and every person has to decide what to do with it. Now, maybe that's very real to you this morning because you've heard about this for years, but you either haven't cared about it or you're fearful what it means to your life. Or maybe this is really familiar to you and you believe that it's true, but here's the problem. It hasn't really changed you. You're essentially the same person that you were before. You maybe have a little more faith and you have a little bit more religion, but there is an evidence. Listen now, there is an evidence of complete transformation of your heart and a deep love for the one who saves us. Wherever you stand with the Lord this morning, you cannot ignore this news because it is real. Now look back one more time at what the shepherds do. Verse 15. They decide to go straight there and see what has happened. And I want you to notice that they went in a hurry. Verse 16, they came in a hurry. Picture that. They, they leave the sheep, they run. They're not just like, well, let's go check this out. You want to stop at Starbucks on the way, grab a latte? Yeah, that's cool. We'll just, you know, we'll get there. Baby's not going anywhere. He's brand new. Think of, I'm being flippant, but seriously, think about the mindset that we have about our faith. 
I, just, I don't know. Kind of get there. Kind of do my thing. They hurry. Why do they hurry? Because when you're looking for purpose and hope, that's what you pursue. Nothing will hold you back. Nothing will prevent you from getting there. You've got to go find it. And they say, hey, we've heard a message from heaven. we got to go find that. Let's run. And it says they make their way. You can kind of, from, from door to door, like, where's the baby? Where is he? Ask you, have you heard about a baby? Have, have you heard a baby crying? No, you haven't? All right, we'll go to there. I mean, there's, there's an urgency. There's a passion here for what they're doing. And then, oh, it's so beautiful after they see him. They tell everybody. Because when you know the truth and it's changed you, you want everybody to know it. And look at verse 20 and we're done. They glorify and they praise God for what he's shown them. Because they're never going to be the same. They have seen the willingness of God to save and adopt us. And when you meet Jesus, listen now, you go from verse 8 to verse 9. You go from a lack of hope and a lack of joy and a lack of purpose and a lack of contentment. That's verse 8. To confidence and salvation and joy and fulfillment. So let me ask you this morning, which verse describes you? Which verse are you living in this morning? Verse 8 or verse 9? And let me tell you, Jesus came. Why? So that we might have life. And so that we might have life that is abundant. And I pray that's how you're living now. And I pray that's how you're going to live for all eternity. Because that's why he came.